right, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. Uh, we're this is going to be a fun one. I will tell you that right now because today's guest is uh, someone I've known for a long time, former coworkers. Although Jay probably does not even remember that. Uh, <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> uh, Jay Bear is the founder of uh, Convince and Convert. And how many books now? Your new book is the sixth book. That's correct. So Talk Triggers is your brand new book. Once, once, we, once we stopped working together, Adam, I started writing books. I don't know if there's a correlation <laughs> or a causation there, but that's mathematically true. I like to feel that I inspired you, Jay. That's what I think I, happened. That's what we're going to say for the purpose of this podcast, for sure. You know that that's going to be on the promotional material, so yes. I'm running with it. I love for it. People, love for it. the people that, the few people who don't know you, um, give people just a, a quick background on, on where you came from and how you founded uh, Convince and Convert. And, uh, and then I want to dive into some of the thinking behind talk triggers. Sure. Uh, and thank you for the opportunity, my friend. I started off in Absolutely. politics. I was a political campaign consultant, uh, did that for a bit. Uh, then I worked for the government for about 20 minutes and then accidentally got involved in the internet, uh, way back in 1993. So 25 years ago. So I've been in digital marketing, uh, since quite literally domain names were free. You could just buy whatever domain name you wanted, because <laughs> uh, who would want a website? Like, what, what are you talking about? So I've been doing this a long time. Uh, had the great good fortune of, uh, of working with Adam uh, for a few years at a, uh, an agency that purchased my digital consulting firm. And my plan was to, uh, after that uh, contract was up, was to go teach at a university or whatever. Uh, but, but then we had the simultaneous collapse of the real estate and stock markets. And I thought, geez, I can't afford to be a university professor. And, uh, and so I started Convince and Convert 10 years ago this summer. And we do digital marketing, social media, content marketing, word of mouth strategy for a bunch of really, really interesting brands. We are, we are blessed to work with some of the most uh, iconic organizations in the world. Uh, it's a virtual firm. Uh, I'm in Indiana now, but our team is located uh, all over the world. And I spend a lot of my time speaking and, uh, and writing books and, and those kind of things and doing my podcast, which is called Social Pros. Uh, and of course, my team does all the, all the hard work. Uh, I, I have a feeling you're doing a lot of the hard work as well. If I, if I remember correctly, I'm doing a lot of work, it. but I don't know if I would call it <laughs> hard work. Giving speeches and recording podcasts is not, it's not exactly mining coal, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, time intensive, put it that way. You still do get black lung though from like being too close to the microphone. I do. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about you, buddy. We're going to get you a checkup for sure. I appreciate um, that. I want to talk about talk triggers because you it's you didn't just say i'm gonna write a book about this and i don't know shit about it i mean you've been doing this and building these programs and the book rings true you know what i've read of it so far i'm not all the way through it um but what i've read of it so far is like oh yeah this is very practical um when what this is your sixth book what made yeah. you inspired to write this book at this particular time it's interesting i started creating content about word of mouth and actually using the phrase talk triggers back in 2011. So there was a very long elephant-like gestation period for this particular concept. I write all my books the same way and for the same reason, Adam, which is when I notice a pattern of inquisition amongst our customers where they're asking myself or our strategy team similar questions over and over, I'm like, hmm, 
if these folks who who if these folks who are you know amongst the largest companies in the world um, don't know the answer to this question, a lot of people don't know the answer to this question, and that means we should go find the answer and 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 create a book about it. So what was happening in this case? is a lot of our clients were saying, well, we understand the mechanics of social, we understand the mechanics of content, but we're not really sure like what we should be saying. And I'm like, oh, what they don't know is the story. And so we went back and and really did a bunch of research and, and discovered that word of mouth has somehow lost its way in in business, right? We, we, you know, it's so incredibly important, but we spend all this time worrying about social media and not enough time worrying about the fundamentals of what story our customers telling about our business. And you, and you and I worked together with, uh, at a shop that had a really tight PR team as well. So yeah. word of mouth as pre social media was PR and figuring out that story and crafting it. And I, I agree that people turned, social media channels into word of mouth and forgot the mechanics behind how to actually get the word of mouth. What, what have you figured yeah, I mean, out? A, fa- a Facebook account, a Facebook account isn't a word of mouth strategy, right? It's just exactly. a conveyance, exactly. right? It's just, it's just a mechanism for, for spreading word of mouth. Like the mistake that we make Adam is that uh, in business, number one, we overlook the true importance of word of mouth. In this book, we, we cite a bunch of research. We also did four separate research projects for the book itself. But the, the data show that between 50 and 91% of all sales, depending on, on what kind of business you are, are influenced by word of mouth. 50 to 91%. That's a lot of yeah. dough. Yet nobody has a word of mouth strategy. Nobody. Like you got a PR strategy, you got a content strategy, social strategy, marketing strategy, digital strategy, HR and recruiting strategy. Everybody's got a, you got a desk full of strategies, but nobody has a <laughs> word of mouth strategy. Like everybody just takes, everybody just takes word of mouth for granted. They're like, yeah, our customers will talk about us. Why do you think that? Why why do you assume that your customers will talk about you? And what have you given them to talk about? Every business makes this mistake. They think that competency creates conversation and it manifestly does not. It does not. Like, I don't know everybody listening. I'll bet you I know some of the listeners, but I know this for a fact, Adam, nobody ever says, nobody has ever said, Hey man, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. Dude, like we don't, I, we don't say that. All, no, we don't I say that because it's, it's, it's not a story worth telling. So right. same is lame. That's really the, the thread line for this book. That same is lame. Like if you want to create conversation, you have to do something that your customers don't expect. It doesn't have to be giant. It doesn't have to be wacky. It just has to be one thing that they don't see coming. That's what creates conversations. How do you, how does this go over in some of your bigger brands where, you know, customer satisfaction, CSCAT scores are, are still the, the coin of the realm for some of those people. And I have to go in and say, guys, satisfaction is the baseline. You can't, we, if, if we're happy with just having satisfied customers, you're in big trouble. It's two sides of the same coin. We, we talk a lot about customer experience uh, in business now. In fact, my, my last book, Hug Your Haters, touches on that subject a lot. And that's okay but we have to understand that experiences can both keep customers, but experiences can also gain customers. Because look, the best way to grow any business, any business, is for your customers to do that growing for you, right? You've heard this phrase, Adam, and 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 I know you agree with me that it's not entirely true, but it's true enough. And the phrase is that advertising is a tax on the unremarkable. <laughs> I do, I do, I do agree. You know, but and, and necess- so it's like it's a necessary evil. 
It is. It is. But if you actually have a word of mouth strategy, if you have a reliable method for your current customers to talk about you to potential customers, it makes you have to advertise less and certainly puts a lot less pressure on your paid uh, promotional approach. And that's what we're trying to do in this book, Talk Triggers, is give people a reliable, consistent, viable framework to, to do word of mouth on purpose. Because right now, everybody's doing word of mouth on accident, if that. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I like about the book. It's practical. And it's not saying, here's this high theory, and here's going to be 65,000 words about it. And I'm going to kind of rewrite the same paragraph 14 times. That book's been um, written. It, like, there's a there's right. a bunch of great books out there on word of mouth, like Jonah Berger's Contagious, Andy Cernovitz's Word of Mouth Marketing, Ted Wright's Fizz, and a bunch of others, right? Um, Emmanuel Rosen's um, book about buzz. There's tons of great books out there on word of mouth. You don't need me to write another book that says word of mouth is important. That book is on the shelf times 10. But what we have never had historically is a book that not only demonstrates the importance of word of mouth, but also does so in a very modern 2018 framework, but then says, okay, yeah, it's important. Now here's exactly how to do it. So that's the the part about this book that I think really matters is that we give you a step-by-step approach for how to actually create a word of mouth strategy. We don't just say it's important. We say it's important and here's how. And I'm really proud of that. And people um, have, have who have had a chance to look at it and start putting it into practice uh, really like that part of it. And, and uh, I'm psyched about it. Who's doing a great job with with word of mouth? You know, who's who's out there that I haven't heard about? Oh, there's millions and it's so, it's so random. It's like, that's the part that's interesting about it. It's like random collections of awesome. I'll I'll give you one that you know of, and I'll give you another one that you don't. So one that you know of, uh, that we talk about in the book a lot is Doubletree Hotels by Hilton. Every day, every guest at a Doubletree is given a warm chocolate chip cookie when they check in to the hotel. Yep. Just got one last week. There you go. They've been doing it every day for 30 years. 30 years. Each day worldwide, they currently give out about 75,000 cookies every day. We studied this in the book, did a, did a first party research project. We surveyed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Double Tree customers working with our friend Susan Beyer. And we discovered that 34% of those customers have told somebody else without being prompted, have told somebody else about the cookie in the past 30 days. So on average, that means that 25,500 people talk about this cookie every single day. Companion question. When's the last time you saw a Doubletree ad? <laughs> I can't the remember cook- everything. The, the cookie is the ad, right? The, the guests are the marketing department. I love it. Every day for 30 years. Now, I'll give you another one that you haven't heard of. It's, this one's not even in the book. This is special only for your show. Because I learned about it after the book was written. That's the great thing about this, too, because I, I, I travel around the world talking about this, this, uh, this thesis now. And after my presentations, people come up to me all the time. They're like, oh, do you know about this one? I'm like, no, taking notes, new ideas. It's great. I need to write another book with all the new ones that I've gathered since I wrote this book. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's cool. I, want, I think I'm going to start a podcast that just once a week. Do you know the Mike Rowe podcast, um, his new one? I do. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking about doing that in just like eight minutes a week, like just one Talk Triggers case study every week. And that's the show. You should definitely do that. Yeah. If you're getting these it. great examples, let's hear yeah. it. Now, I'm going to judge your idea by this one, this one example that you Okay, have. here you go. 
There's a physician in Seattle, Washington. He's a very particular kind of physician because he's a surgeon. He's a very particular kind of surgeon in that he only does one kind of surgery. He only performs the vasectomy surgery. (laughs) His name is Dr. Snip. Now, that in and of itself is amazing. (laughs) But that is not... I, I don't know that. Uh, it's okay, immaterial right. to the story uh, because that's not his actual talk trigger, although it is pretty great. His talk trigger works like this. Every patient on the way out the door post-surgery gets the usual pile of paperwork and post-operative instructions and insurance forms and whatever. But then in a small box, each patient is presented with an engraved silver pocket knife. And on that knife, it says, Dr. Snip, vasectomy surgeon. Now you can imagine that you're with your buddies, right? And you're playing golf or you're on your boat or you're, you know, watching football and you open a beer and your buddy's like, bro, that's a sweet knife. Where'd you get it? Like this knife? I got this knife from Dr. Snip, vasectomy surgeon. Now that is a kick-ass talk trigger. That's amazing. Right? How do you, are, are people just coming through? So yes, you should do your, your podcast, by the way. Thank you. Um, are people just coming out of the woodwork to give you examples now? Mm-hmm. Well, before the you... book was out, before the book was out, I did like, I did 40 keynotes on this topic before the book was out. I, I, and this is probably something I should have mentioned. Maybe it's not relevant, but I write books a lot differently than most people. So for me, it always starts as a speech, right? So I write a speech and then I take that speech on the road like a comedian would do. And then I make the speech better. And if it feels like it's resonating with audiences, then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to make it a book. So I take the speech and expand it into a more system and add examples and it becomes uh, it becomes a book. So I have done this Talk Triggers keynote a whole bunch of times uh, before the book was out. And so when I do the keynote, people come up to me afterwards at Q&A and be like, hey, I've got an example for you. That's how I learned about Dr. Snip. But now that the book is out, we have a Talk Triggers Facebook group that anybody who has read the book is allowed to join. And there's all kinds of new examples and ideas um, coming to the Facebook group like every day, which is really, really fun. That's really cool. So in that way, you're able to work the book out before you even sit down to write the book. You know what? I think it makes a better narrative flow in the book uh, because I, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. The stories are fleshed out. You sort of know from stage like which stories resonate and which stories kind of miss the mark. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a good process for me for sure. I notice uh, with uh, your books, you often have a partner, like a co-author. I have I have uh, uh, a couple times. Yeah, the first one, the first one, and the most recent one. Well, that's not true. And I guess I did for that two utility books too. So yeah, I guess uh, technically uh, four out of six. You're correct. What is the, I did my homework, buddy. I'm not, this isn't a joke here. This is a real deal. What is the thinking? Like, how do you, when do you decide that, hey, I'm going to co-write this with someone or I want to, I got this one and I know what I want to say or how's, what's your process? Interestingly, different, different reasons for different books. For, for Talk Triggers, which I wrote with my good friend, Daniel Lemon, who was formerly the head of strategy at Convince and Convert, my consulting firm. Um, So we know each other really well and have worked together for a long time. I'm best at the identify the pattern and tell the stories part of it. Daniel's really good. And he has another book that he wrote called Manipurated, which is terrific, all about ratings and reviews. Um, Daniel's better at the process part of it. 
like, okay, step three, do this, step four, do this, step five, do this. I, I don't, I'm not as good at that part, right? Because I really am a strategist. So, and he's more of a practitioner. So in this book, I said, we absolutely positively must have the how-to. Otherwise, there's no point of writing this book for the reasons that I articulated earlier. Yeah. Uh, so it was great to work uh, with him on it. What I tell people is um, the the funny parts are mine. All the useful parts are his of this book. And, that's, <laughs> and that is almost entirely true. Um, not to mention the fact I am busier than I have been in the past, uh, from a travel standpoint, Daniel is also, uh, he is a, he is a very accomplished, um, professional speaker and is out there all the time on the circuit. So it's great to have him as a co-author because if I can't, if somebody says, Hey, can you come give a speech? And I can't because I'm booked or for whatever reason I can say, well, I can't make it, but Daniel can. And so it, it allows us to collectively, cover more ground from a book promotions standpoint. So he's on a bunch of podcasts too right now, promoting the book, et cetera. So it's just, um, it's almost like a divide and conquer kind of thing, which has been terrific. Oh, that's awesome. Now, before we started rolling, you said you weren't sure how all this worked, um, but it seems like six books in, it seems to me like you got a, a like a machine pr- going t- pretty tightly along. What have you learned? Like what's one of the big takeaways? I would assume something talk triggers, uh, itself, you've probably created some talk triggers around the book. Absolutely. Well, we, we felt like we had to, right? We, it was like, well, look, we can't write a book about word of mouth and talk triggers and not have a talk trigger in the book. That would be, <laughs> that would be hypocritical at best. I think, so, I think for about a week, my LinkedIn was full of people mentioning the book yeah. pre, in pre-order. And I was yeah. like, oh shit, he's, he's, he's gone full He's gone full commitment to this this topic. We did an influencer uh, campaign on this one, right? Where we sent out pre-launch kits uh, to people that included the book and a tin of Doubletree cookies and a stuffed alpaca uh, because there are alpacas on the cover of the book, which is one of the talk triggers. It's hot pink and has alpacas on the cover. And so that kind of pre-launch influencer outreach campaign um, bore a lot of fruit and created a lot of buzz around the book, which is great. But the real talk trigger for the book itself is this, Adam. On the back of the book, uh, it says, satisfaction guaranteed. If you bought this book and didn't like it, go to talktriggers.com and send the authors a note. They will buy you any other book of your liking. And we will. So if you buy the book and you don't like it, go to the site. And I'll get you anything. You want a first edition Bible? We will we'll figure it out. Uh, we will make that happen. Uh, and and that's a big claim, but we you know we we believe in the book. We we think um, most, if not everybody, will like it. And so that's our that's our talk trigger. It is the first business book ever that you could theoretically make money on uh, if you don't like it. You just you just gave a bunch of enterprising people a, a big. I know. Idea I'm waiting. Tonight. I'm just waiting. That's what Daniel said when I was concocting this. This is one of the ones that I came up with, and he was like, "Are you sure?" He said, "Well, what happens when somebody wants this ten thousand dollar cookbook that he found on Amazon?" I'm like, "Well, a we're gonna have to buy him a cookbook, and b I'll have a press release written in ten seconds." There, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> right? to turn so, it into a positive talk trigger. Absolutely. No shit. That's like an automatic. Yeah, I would hope so. What have been, have you gotten any pushback to the book? Has anybody said, has anybody given you kind of any blowback or have you gotten any kind of negative feedback that you've learned from that helped you, that is helping you as you kind of keep out and getting out on the road and presenting the story? Yeah, actually, actually really not so much at all, uh, which is terrific to see. And and we've had people who I respect say things like, this is the best business book I've ever read, which is crazy. I'm not even sure I would say that, but, but, um, 
the feedback's been, this has been the best feedback of any book I've written and all the books I've written have, have been well-reviewed. So that is super amazing to me and like extraordinarily, um, I'm just blown away by the reception to this book. Um, I would say the one, the one piece that, um, didn't surprise us, but, but it just bears mention is our friend, Chris Penn, who is a super brilliant, uh, data analyst said that, Hey, you know, in the book, we talk about social monitoring and social listening, and, and sometimes you can find a talk trigger by by looking into your social media chatter from consumers. He did some analysis and said, yeah, that's true, but not really for a lot of brands because, you know, your talk trigger is not going to be mentioned 100% of the time or, or so often that it's just going to pop out of the data. And he's right about that. Uh, and so I wouldn't call that a criticism, but just a clarification of the process. So a couple of little things like that um, amongst, uh, you know, what I would consider to be super nerds. But uh, other than that, it's been great. That's a, that's a super duper nitpick. But yeah, I get it. Um, we do a lot of uh, social intel. And so we usually will, f- you really have to sift to find out what, yes. what those things can be and what those, they don't just jump right and out. And that was, was kind of his point, and not only about the book, but just about, you know, social intel in general. It's like, you know, people who don't do that all the time as you do and we do you know, they, they think you can just like dial up, you know, spread fast or whatever and press a button. It's like, here's what people think. It's like, yeah, it's not quite that simple. Uh, if only, if only yeah. it was, but yeah, yeah the, the biggest words in the word cloud are not usually all that meaningful. No. It's always like people, good, great, <laughs> hate. Yeah. It's not, it's like, yeah, discard all those. Those are garbage. We've got to go to those real tiny words in the outskirts. Yeah. Well, and we talked about this in the book that, that, um, you know, the, the, the very best talk triggers in the world have a talkability rate of four in 10, right? So four out of every 10 customers notice it and mention it. And you're like, ah, oh, that's not very great, but it's amazing. And you think about that four out of every 10 customers tell somebody else about this one thing. Uh, you know, and when you take it out of sort of the, the, the vacuum of four and 10, it's like pretty extraordinary, but most of your talk triggers are less than that. It's like, you know, two to three in 10 um, are the ones where you know, you usually, usually see it. No, I mean, if you think of a positive NPS score as being uh, seven, eight, nine, then forty mm-hmm. percent of those people are talking about one topic, one yep. trigger. That's yeah. huge. It's pretty huge. Yeah, that, that that point's not lost on me. Uh, hey, let's talk more about the research you did because I, I am a nerd and I love research. Um, you did a bunch of primary research to kind mm-hmm. of test out some theories to prove them, to disprove them. Um, tell me just methodology wise, what did you do? Yeah, what did, we did. Uh, you said it was Susan and, uh, and you and, and Daniel all worked yeah, together. We on did those? five, five projects actually. Um, I'll just do it in the order in which I remember them. Project That's one, good. project one was a, uh, survey of double tree customers to measure uh, talkability of the cookie. Uh, survey project two was a survey of the cheesecake factory customers to measure talkability of their freakishly enormous and broad menu. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, 38% of customers mention the menu. Um, yeah, that's, that sounds right. Yeah, it's silly. It's the worst place to be a server because you, you're like, hey, you guys ready to order? Like, no, we are yeah. still not ready I, to order. <laughs> I have only you, on page four. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you go on break uh, and, and you come back and let us know. Uh, <laughs> Third project was to um, classify and categorize and essentially segment audiences by proclivity to engage in word of mouth behaviors. So there's actually four different types of audiences, uh, recommenders and skeptics, et cetera. Um, and, and, and really what we draw from that is, as we were talking about a minute ago, Adam, 
there's nothing that you can do that's going to get 70% of the people talking. Like it literally does not matter. It doesn't matter. You could give everybody a gold bar on the way out the door and, and 40% of them will never mention it because they're just not <laughs> wired that way. They just, they just don't, they don't talk about anything to anybody. It's just how they are. <laughs> I love that. So we, we, we did a whole project on that, which is really interesting stuff. And then we did a, um, uh, a social chatter analysis with Jason Falls at the Conversation Research Institute and looked at some um, talk triggers that that have um, become less relevant. So one of the things that's true about word of mouth strategy is that you can be uh, lucky like Doubletree and have one that you can make stick for 30 years. And then sometimes something happens and, and, and it doesn't work anymore. So um, the the one that we actually researched specifically, we researched several, but the one that um, comes to mind is uh, Enterprise Rental Car. So you you remember, I'm sure that their their talk trigger was "We'll pick you up." Oh yeah, right? they, they would be they were the only rental car company that would deliver the car, take you to the car, whatever. And that was a pretty good talk trigger, and they actually used it for I don't know 10, 20 years, long time. And that it was makes almost a, a tagline for them. It was both. It was both a tagline and a talk trigger, which is when you really got something right. And that made a lot of sense until Uber. <laughs> when you right. have Uber or Lyft <laughs> and you can press a button and get somebody to pick you up whenever and wherever, having the weird rental car kid pick you up is no longer uh, interesting, talkable, or, or, or even pleasant. So, so what we proved in that project was that the talkability of that differentiator has, has diminished to the point of almost nothing now. We did that project. And then the last one we did was a massive study. Uh, I'll make sure you get a copy of it called Chatter Matters, the 2018 word of mouth report, a longitudinal study of uh, over, over a thousand people about the impact of word of mouth on how we vote, how we buy stuff, um, et cetera. And there's like, it's like 26 pages or something, uh, tons and tons and tons of findings in there. One of my favorite ones in that report is that 66% of Americans would trust an anonymous online review, like on Yelp or TripAdvisor, more than they would trust a face-to-face recommendation from an (laughs) ex-girlfriend, which I love that one. That's one of my favorites. So our interpretation- It's like uh, weighing weighing neutral inputs versus negative inputs. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And so I I really really like that one. That's pretty good. And and (laughs) one of the- one of the key parts of that study, the Chatter Matters report, is there's a uh, more than I actually thought before we did the research, uh, pretty significant generational differences in word of mouth. Um, you know, young people, uh, millennials in particular, are are more prone to make recommendations this way or to seek recommendations this way than uh, than other generations. Pretty interesting stuff. Could that younger generation get above the forty percent threshold that you mentioned? Within that cohort, absolutely, because 50, 50, uh, let's see, 50, 71% of millennials have made at least one word of mouth recommendation in the last month. That compares to 55% of all Americans. Got it. So and yeah, it's Gen possible. Gen Z follow suit or is Gen uh, Z drop off? It's, it's interesting. Um, not quite as much. So we think we don't we don't have evidence of this, but but our interpretation of the data is that um, because depending on where you do the cut, some Gen Z folks aren't really in a workplace. Um, they just don't have as many conversations, right? And they're always on their phone, right? So even more so than millennials. Um, so so they don't have as many 
chances or opportunities to engage in word of mouth. But our supposition is, is that as they get into the workforce, you just have more, hey, let's go out to lunch, you know, as for our team or whatever. And then that's when people naturally kind of get into a recommendation behavior. So I think that's what it means. But again, that's just that's just reading the tea leaves of the data. Right. Well, there's always a little bit of that. You know, when you were talking about the Doubletree example, uh, you kind of got to this with Enterprise and Uber. And I'm actually I'm working on something that's comparing uh, Enterprise and Uber in a different way. But when I think about Doubletree, they've owned that weird cookie thing for, like you said, 30 years. It's It's crazy to me that no one else has put a toaster oven behind their desk and started doing that. What if Marriott, like Courtyard, brand decided to start giving out chocolate chip cookies what how, what kind of impact does yeah what well, happens all the time i'll give it i'll give it i'll give it an exact parallel example uh you probably remember i think it was about a decade ago and i should look it up because i had to mention this a couple of times recently I'll, I'll, I'll look up the dates but it was like eight ten years ago weston hotels rolled out the heavenly bed Oh, I remember. Remember that? And their whole deal was, we're going to invest millions of dollars in quote unquote sleep technology. Uh, and and we're going to have the comfiest bed in all of the hotel kingdom. And that seemed to be a pretty good idea. Such a good idea, in fact, that Hilton Garden Inn, Hyatt, and one other chain, I can't remember, all rolled out their own version of it. Somebody went with a sleep number bed, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they copied it so quickly that they could never get a toehold and keep it as a talk trigger. So they had to roll it back. Like they still, you know, it is still quote unquote, the heavenly bed, but they never talk about it. It's no longer their thing. It was the lead for about a year and a half. Yeah. And that was it about a year and a half. And that was all, all the runway they had. Uh, And sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes your competitors match it quickly enough that you can't, you can't own it. I would argue that that's Zappos's problem today. Zappos had a talk trigger of their own for, two, three years, and it was free two-way shipping. They were the only ones who would do free two-way shipping. And now almost everybody does two-way shipping, so it's not talkable anymore. Nobody can have it as a talk trigger anymore. That's interesting. And so those things can just get taken from you unless you figure out a way to make it your own. And Yeah, and, and sometimes it's just not, I mean, yeah, and, and you know, you can't really, you can't dictate the moves of your competitors. So you you can't really protect it. Um, you know, it's, you can't build a moat around it, which is why we talk about in the book, we have a whole section at the end that says, okay, what happens if you're Weston? What happens if you're Zappos? What happens if you're enterprise? And all of a sudden your talk trigger isn't yours anymore. And so we have a whole process for what you do. Then you kind of go back to step two of our six step process and, and, uh, and kind of reconfigure and retest and remeasure and, and roll out another one. The audience that's listening right now are, are uh, strategy people that are really uh, digging for consumer insights and connecting the dots um, across consumer insight to a business insight and trying to connect those things. So how do you how do you uh, run that terrain when you're trying to dream up triggers or you're trying to identify triggers yeah. that could well, work? Well, it's, it's got to be from yeah. an insight perspective. Okay, here's the worst way to come up with a talk trigger. The worst way is to get all the smart people in a conference room and brainstorm it. <laughs> because if it was that easy, you'd already have one. However, that's how most people go about it, which is why in my presentations now, I have to take a whole like segment of the talk and say, I know everybody in this room is thinking, when can we schedule the brainstorm to work on our talk trigger? And let me tell you right now, what a bad idea that is. Instead, Here's the beginning of this process. I won't get into the whole six-step process because it'll take too long. But yeah, yeah, don't do here's that. the key part. 
first thing you do, create a customer journey map if you don't have one. Document all your touch points and inflection points with your customers before, during, post-sale. Okay? Second step, interview three groups of customers. You interview new customers, long-time customers, and lost customers. This is not a survey. This is a conversation. Okay? This is qualitative. About five customers per bucket is sufficient typically, right? So 15 interviews, five, five, five. What you're trying to do in those interviews, Adam, is you're asking these customers, okay, at this step of the process, when we, I don't know, B2B, when we uh, sent you a proposal, what did you expect would happen? What you're trying to create is a customer expectations map. Because once you know what people expect, you by definition know what people do not expect. And that gap between what they expect and what they don't expect is where the gold is. That's where the talk trigger lies. And one of the interesting things about word of mouth strategy is that amazingly, the more perfunctory the thing that you put a twist on, the more talkable it is because it's always been wallpaper for everybody. Right? Oh, yeah. And and when you... It's, it's funny to me. I love doing interviews, customer interviews for any kind of brand that I'm working on, B2B, B2C, whatever it is. I just feel like those conversations are so valuable. Do you get pushback on those? Or is that an unusual thing? I, I feel like it's an uphill battle sometimes saying, hey, we want to interview these sorts of customers yeah, we, to I get mean, to those insights. I mean, we talk about it in, in our company. We talk about it in the business development process so they know it's coming. Like it's not it's not an optional exercise. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's because, and I wouldn't talk about this all the time, but I certainly were on this show with you. Marketers don't know what customers want. No, like, we, not we at all. think we do. We pretend we do but we don't. And how can we? We don't talk to customers. Marketing doesn't no. talk to customers. Now we used to, you're not old enough, Adam, I don't think, but I am to, to remember <laughs> the time uh, when we didn't have any other choice. Like we didn't have any software. There were no reports. The, like my first agency, I used to work for Nelson Ralston Rob in Phoenix as an intern. This is back in the eighties. And my boss, uh, Bob Robb, who's now the uh, editorial page writer for the Arizona Republic newspaper, he told me something when I was an intern that I will never forget. He said, no good marketing happens at your desk. Mm. His deal was, his deal was, his deal was, you should not be in the office. So many managers are like, how come you're not in the office? Like, what are you doing? What are you screwing around? He was the exact opposite. He was like, why are you in the office? You should be out talking to our customers or even better talking to the customers of our customers. And, and somewhere along the way, because we now we have computers and Google analytics or, you know, whatever, we've kind of lost that spirit. Um, it's just easier to sit around and like, you know, press a button and a report spits out. But that's why we're so specific in the book about creating what we call the triangle of awesome. And the triangle of awesome is your talk triggers implementation team. And it must include marketing, sales, and service. And in the middle of that triangle is ops. Because ultimately a talk trigger is an operational exercise. It's not really a marketing exercise. When you say, um, I think we've, we believe that the Google 
analytics report tells us what we need to know about customers or about people. So we don't go do that work. We don't go out, hit the street and go actually okay. go observe people in the store or observe people doing the thing or want to go interview people. Uh, it's, I don't think people don't want to know the information. I believe they feel that Facebook analytics or Google analytics gives them the insight they need. But I, that's, I just don't feel like you get enough unless you're asking them, like, why did you pick that? Why did you, why yeah. didn't you order this thing? That's half the price. Did you not know? Like, what's, where's your mind? Look, I, I've said this before. We are, we are surrounded by data, but we're starved for insights. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, numbers, you know, people are like big data, big data, big data is worthless. It's about big understanding, right? I mean, like, like a number is just a number. It has no actual value outside of context. So, you know, and I think conversations is what creates context. So the more interviews we can do, uh, the, the, I think the better off we'll be. So that's, that's kind of the, the key to this process, right? Is to really um, get a better sense of what customers expect uh, and, then, and then find something that they think is boring and then make it not boring. There's your opportunity. That's it. That's awesome. I, Jay, this is great. Um, this was, you've mentioned it. Conversations are powerful and I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, it's it was been a blast. too long since we've, uh, since we got on the phone. Uh, way we, too long. I appreciate Twitter it. A lot, but yeah. I yeah, appreciate man, it. Thank you for make, Thank you so much for making time and, uh, continued success with the book for sure. Thanks so much. I should mention that if people go to talktriggers.com, there's tons of free stuff there. Um, infographics, research reports, book club discussion guides, PowerPoint presentations, like all kinds of free stuff. Go grab it. Uh, it's my gift to you. Yeah. Normally I ask people where you can be found online, but in your case, I kind of feel like everybody knows, but just for the fun of it, you can run down your, uh, where's yeah, the I'm, best places I'm, they can find I'm, you. I'm Jay Bear in all the places uh, that you might expect. And then our main site is convince and convert. Uh, we've got uh, thousands and thousands of blog posts and webinars and research projects and videos, everything for, for marketers and, uh, and business people. And then my podcast is called Social Pros. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. That was a blast. It. We'll do it again. Yes, sir.